When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Foundation and Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Foundation on Apple TV+. This episode, we're considering feedback for Season 1, Episode 6, Death and the Maiden. Respect and enjoy the podcast. All right, Aaron, we have feedback, or so I hear. Yeah, also, I, I kind of want to start uh, debuting a feature that where uh, we kind of discuss some of the stuff that's come up on the official podcast, because that's a fascinating project in its own right. Uh, I don't have a name for this. We need a name for it, like uh, Gabin with Goyer, Goyer Corner. Sure. The that... Conception Inception. Yeah. <laughs> after, after Jason's role in it. I don't know. I don't know. But I... Here's the things I thought uh, were interesting coming out of the podcast. If you have any, uh, feel free to join in. But uh, there's a really fascinating tidbit from David's early life where he talks about being a 10-year-old in uh, some sort of uh, Jewish school system and talking with the rabbi. There's like an opportunity to talk about life on other planets. And he started, you know, propounding the the rabbi with questions about like, well, suppose there's a planet, you know, and it's it's populated by intelligent octopi, octopuses. Uh, would would those would those uh, octopus people practice Judaism? Uh, and it's like, so fa- and I remember it reminded me of like, uh, did you ever have any uh, debates with the cooler elders in our congregation about extraterrestrial life? Do you, do you remember the? No, no, a lot of um. Uh, a lot of debates about uh, God and and the limitations of it, but sure, no, none of those. I had uh, I had one elder that said something that I remember. It's it stuck with me. That's like, uh, well, okay, if there was L- uh, intelligent life elsewhere in the galaxy, then God obviously created it, right? Of course, uh, and it would probably be perfect. Mm-hmm. And uh, unless unless they had they it turned into like a debate about whether that planet would also have a Satan that would have tempted them and fall or whether there's like a celestial kind of group of like still perfect creation other on other planets is watching us on Earth fucking it was it's like but I, I remember thinking about that uh, the intersection between kind of like science fiction and religion. Uh, yeah, and uh, I thought it was cool because because also David revealed he he grew up in a kind of divided. You know, his dad, I think, was 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 Catholic and his mom was Jewish or hmm. maybe vice versa. So mm-hmm. I always find people with those like borderlands or people that have like had a like a lot of significant spiritual growth or questioning questioning. They do really good with these kind of storylines. So, yeah, maybe that explains it. Uh, he also went in. He had this interesting comment about the life cycle. He called it of the clones and their relationship with Demerzel. That they start off in Dawn, you know, that they experience Demerzel as this mommy and nanny and teacher figure. Uh, and then when they become Day, she turns into the right hand woman. He implied that they it's not atypical for the days to have sexual relationship with Demerzel to, oh to consummate uh, this this kind of royal consort type of deal, mm-hmm. which I that that blew my mind. Uh, I but they also makes it into the show. We'll see. Yeah, if, if he's talking about if he's implying and I feel like there's going to be some creepy scenes, uh, some creepy Game <laughs> of Thrones type scenes where it feels incestual, uh-huh. yeah. um, even though strictly speaking, it, it's not uh, day. He also says that day starts to grow resentful at this period uh, because he starts feeling his, you know, own mortality and, and also realizing the limitations of who he is as an individual like. Demerzel is always there to remind him of like, you know, you don't matter as much as the empire matters. And you always have to kind of keep that stuff in mind. And that's he chafes against that. But then as they evolve in the dusk, they fall in love with Demerzel, like in a like in a deep, compatible way and uh, hmm. truly starts to appreciate her role that they play in their life just as she's there to usher them off into darkness. So I thought that's interesting things to look for. <laughs> For sure. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing some of that stuff on screen. 
Uh, I will say also that that's how it's been for the last, what, 14 generations? Who knows how it's going to be going it's forward? True. That's true. The colorblind stuff's throwing everything into, into uh, question. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also had the inspiration for the commander figure that survives a wreck of the jump ship. Uh, their their pod was dis- was uh, inspired by Donald Pleasant's uh, escape uh, from his uh, plane wreck in the, uh, the movie Escape from New York. Okay, I have not seen that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's a you know interesting John Carpenter film. You haven't seen it, but I thought that was pretty funny that they were like sweating, like, well, how are they going to have this guy? And he's like, ah, oh, it's easy. Donald Pleasant's Escape from New York. <laughs> Just pop him in a pop him in a capsule and shoot him out. Um. Jason, uh, the 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 main host, I guess, the moderator of the podcast, uh, asked him a question about luminism because he says, "Is you know, we've seen one religious movement in this galaxy on Synax be violently anti-technology and you know anti-intellectualism." And he asked if we're supposed to like kind of see that commonality in religion. He said, "No, luminism is actually embracing technology. They have starships of their own, um, but it's just like you're seeing them at their the the." core that like the, this is like the holy land uh gotcha. like you'd have you know so like this is the salt palace and like they they restrict kind of like you have to put your put your cell phones in boxes he said like you know when when you go to pay pay homage to their make a pilgrimage here yeah so that explains why you know they got they, it's not just three trillion followers but they also probably have commiserate military industrial and economic might to go along with that too they're not they're not backwaters huh Interesting. Um, I guess I hadn't considered that they would have military might of any kind. We didn't. Um, that's, those are my words. I'm just saying okay. that, like the implication if they have in technology, then, you know, like it, it, even if the empire is a monopoly on force, it's probably something that's like a legal thing rather than like, oh, shit, we just can't figure out how to make guns kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he also said that uh, Jason was talking about with him about the spacers, the weird engineered humans that kind of like babysit everybody in hyperspace. And he said they experience hyperspace as a cross between a religious experience and like an MDMA trip. Okay. So I don't know how a normal human would experience, but that's how you describe the spacers and the other one. Uh, so I was taken with his suggestion that the vault was like, uh, this, uh, Borges uh, novel or this uh, short story, the the Library of Babel, Babel. And I completely forgot that all the podcast up to this, every time Jason asks him what's in the vault, he gives some kind of smart ass uh, crazy answer to it. So he gave the one the one kind of like straight up. Oh, here's a serious literary reference. And I just ran with it. And mm-hmm. then this episode, he asked him again, what's the vault? And I'm like, what? That's interesting. And he goes, oh, it's it's the uh, ice cave from the Sasquatch episode of Six Million Dollar Man. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Have I literally checked out <laughs> oh, that, a... That's Arjun- interesting. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, so does that mean it can? it's the duality of man? You know, you've got one that's a cyborg. He's fused with, like, six right? million dollars of technology. But Sasquatch, that's, like, aboriginal man almost. Like, free of any kind of uh, te- technology or... Uh, yeah so is one of the spacers in there they're about six million dollars worth of modifications right at at least at least (laughs) and they're just having an mdma rave apparently uh so (laughs) i don't know i feel um maybe maybe he's hiding one serious answer in uh all of the 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 chaff that he's he's firing in response to jason's insistent question of what's in what's what's in the vault um or maybe not uh, i mean that one's such a cool concept though that library it is such a cool concept and I, it's also telling because I, I don't know if this came up like in our actual interview or if this was in the before or after phase of it but he seemed to take it in he seemed to take it kind of semi-serious when we were like you know bringing it up in conversations and so maybe that is or maybe he's this is hilarious to him that you know, we're these podcasters and we haven't gotten the the, the joke of their of their <laughs> podcast six episodes in. So I could, could, could go either way. Could go either. All I, I know is I found the one English translation of this Argentinian. Oh, uh, did you? Uh, yeah, it's, there's there's one copy floating around the Cincinnati library system and, I, and I've and i got it. As oh, of last well, night. I guess I can't so, read it. 
I did. Yeah. I was looking around on the internet um, to try and find some stuff about Library of Babel, and I found LibraryofBabel.info, which is a website that is exactly this. It's exactly the Library of Babel with the hexagonal Ooh. rooms and all the shelves and all the random texts. It doesn't have like a full compilation of every text that is possible in that yet. I guess they're working on that. Mm. Although I don't know what that means because it's just an algorithm to generate all that. So it should be pretty much instant if you have the computing power. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, you can go there and just hit like a random book and it'll 99.999% of the time give you just a bunch of garbage. Um, but then you can like search for specific phrases and it, it's a really cool website. Library Wow. That is, that is interesting. Um, uh, the other thing I I want before we move off the uh, the Goyer corner is uh, one of the things we'd mentioned in the before we before we officially started a podcast, you know, he just kind of hopped on and we were kind of bullshitting back and forth for a couple of minutes. And uh, we talked about um, some of the, you know, the covid impact of, of, of foundation. This is also something he yeah. mentioned. He did a Reddit AMA the week before we sat down with him to talk. And I I. I pulled some information from that stuff, but it seems like a lot of the problems that we've had with this show in terms of like, Oh man, those Anacreons, that, that initial charge into terminus was kind of lame. Uh, not sure of some of the, the storytelling and editing that went into some of that, uh, you know, Clark Peter stuff, the, some of the terminus stuff from this episode, maybe that was a little shaky. Um, it seems that, there are some big problems with like COVID impacting like that. They really wanted a much larger battle sequence, but uh, the day they shot the uh, Terminus side, the devastation side, uh, they were, un- they were um, going under limitations of how many people they could have on the set. So they just couldn't have that. Those, those big crowds mm-hmm. um, also that like Clark Peters, um, you know, there's like, there's a whole lot of inside ball in between like who's a main series regular, who is an also appearing, how many episodes you get them for, you know, like you get them for five episodes, six episodes. And I guess Clark Peters, they only had him, you know, cause they can't afford to pay everyone as main cast members. Very few shows can, um, that, uh, that was an impact because when they had to shut down for COVID, uh, I guess his contract allowed him to find other work, which he did, which then got caused him a lot of filming problems, trying to get him back to finish that story arc. So they kind of like stitched it together as best they could. But, but, uh, I don't know. Like I said, you, it, this is uh, you guys got to keep in mind. This is a showrunner that's you know talking about his own work and you know wanting to put the best face forward. But I kind of am inclined to, uh. It's, it makes a lot of sense, I guess, on what I'm saying. Like, I feel like um, that feels like a reasonable explanation for why sometimes there's like stuff where the show nails and then other things they kind of stumble with. It's like there are limitations they face with the season. Now, going forward, uh, you know, we asked him, like, oh, a probably smooth sailing for like season two. You guys are probably no longer doing all the Zoom coordination. He's like, no, that they're still, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, Hollywood probably takes the above, the, especially the above the line folks, uh, pretty seriously. You know, if you end up getting Lee Pace killed from some kind of mitocardial fucking swelling or infarction or whatever related to COVID, uh, there's probably some big money involved there. So it seems like Hollywood's is very cautious about re- releasing some of these restrictions. Also, um, a lot of it is just getting people across borders. They're filming in different countries, and you know, getting getting everybody uh, through customs and stuff during this time is also challenging. So uh, I, I guess the big point is if you're loving the show, it seems like each season we get a little bit further into you know, either living with the pandemic or getting, getting post pandemic, that stuff should get stronger. And if you like the show, except for you, you, you have a problem with a couple of scenes here and there, then you probably really like it going forward because uh, whether they're going to get workarounds to that or just, you know, be free of the restrictions, it seems like, that did unfortunately impact some of the storytelling. So take that for what you will. Anyway, if, if uh, you would like to hear more from David Goyer and you don't want to wait till the end of the season, uh, we did have a couple things that hit the cutting room floor. Like I said, those, uh, the beginning conversation, we talk a little bit about the success of Dune and its budget versus uh, foundation's budget and some more of that COVID restriction inside stuff. Um, and we cut, had to cut a couple questions too. Uh, if you want to hear all that stuff, there's probably 10, maybe 15 minutes of that. Uh, we're going to post it to uh, our premium feeds. So if you're a patron or club member, you can check that out uh, later this week. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Well, that's it for the uh, Concepcion Inception. Uh, We are going to move on to the feedback from you fine folks. Uh, Foundation at baldmove.com is how you send in feedback each week, and we will try to answer it. I also adapted a couple of... uh, uh, the Goyer questions we couldn't get to that I thought maybe we could field. Um, so I, I also did a little bit of that too, but this is a uh, large yeah. feedback from one Oh six death and the maiden. First up is Devin. So am I the only one who found Harden's visions of the Imperial library and the boy outside the vault just to be plain silly. Furthermore, when I read the book a, fir- uh, a few years ago, I walked away at the understanding that if someone understands psychohistory, it changes their decision-making process and therefore throws off psychohistory's predictions. I assume this is also in the show, and that's probably why Raish killed Harry. The vault is sending uh, some sort of visions to Harden. Doesn't that undercut the same basic idea? Um, so let's talk about the hmm. Harden visions of the Imperial Library. Is it plain silly? Um, I, I guess why I don't see it as plain silly. I mean, it's a science yeah. fiction concept, uh, telekinesis and and telepathy and empathy and all that stuff are long baked in like whether you're talking about jedi knights or vulcans with the mind melds like having humanity continue to evolve some sort of mental powers mm-hmm. is part of part part of the deep dna of the series or, or at least the the genre sure and i don't know what the mechanism for it is yet right they haven't told us is this some innate ability she has because of her uh birth or is this some kind of like vault infused technology sort of thing we don't we don't know anything about it other than it's a power that she seems to have so i'm i'm waiting to reserve judgment if this is like oh and she got this power from talking to the wood elves uh maybe i won't be so excited about it but i seriously doubt that's the case and also, like sometimes uh, with science fiction, you want to know the answers too bad. You wind up with midichlorians. Aren't you sure. glad to know that the force is generated by midichlorians? <laughs> Isn't that feel much more satisfying than the mystical monk answers we got in the, the previous movies? I know I love my midichlorians. I, so like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm like, that's the, that's the tension in world building. Like you want to feel like the world's real but you know what's cool about the real world there's always things that you can know and and uncover and if everything like it it stops feeling real if you know the details about everything right so there's got to be some things to discover uncover learn um but you know your other point about psychohistory that's my understanding too that like people it's it's just two parts of it that like if enough of the population is aware of the fact that they're in some kind of equation that the knowledge that they're being observed can like fucking taint the results and also yeah people hmm. uh, more people to understand psychohistory um and can run equations and stuff also somehow can can screw up but it's essentially something being aware of it's being observation it's like you know if someone says hey just act natural how fucking natural can you possibly act Versus sure. someone in like like a cloaking device filming you literally being natural, not knowing that you're being recorded. Those that's the difference there. So yeah, it's some like weird perverted Schrodinger's cat sort of thing, right? Where yeah. Once the observer knows they're being observed, they can change the ob- the outcome of the observation. Yeah, it's yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I didn't get that from reading the first book, so I wonder if that's in 
subsequent books. I, I never, yeah, there's just, I, I never understood that there was much of an opportunity to change things just by knowing that psychohistory is a thing. I, I understand like Harry can change things because he intimately understands psychohistory. I think um, that might be a related concept. It's not just that the population at large is, you know, no, but it's also the more people that understand it. And this is something that I think that is continuing to be a fundamental and misunderstanding of the audience. Um, you cannot predict individuals behavior, but you can use an individual to nudge a variable like, mm-hmm. you know, Harry can't predict what the emperor is going to do, but he can have himself killed apparently by one of his acolytes and plug that result. The founder of psycho history being murdered by his disciple and that input can be correctly modeled as to how the, the galaxy at large will react to those news. You know, people that have started to believe in psycho history, people who are, you know, like, so I, that's the thing. It's like you can't predict individual behavior, but you can take individuals and tell them to do things that will alter the variables of, of how the board is set for psycho history. And I, I to me, that that that's uh, that's very bright white line separating those two predicting individuals. Yeah. B- yeah. B- yeah. And, and, and having mean, all, individuals act, you know, all acts, small and large are individual acts, you know, like yes you have a lot of people who can carry out those acts like let's say going to war but ultimately the decision comes down to a person right and so right you know that the larger effects are always always um well i don't want to say tainted but always a result of individual actions yeah 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 so that's the thing you always got to keep in mind the difference between that um and uh you know the individual actions versus individuals acting of their own accord with the understanding of psycho history or under the direction of someone in psycho history to alter how the universe is, is behaving. And it also seems like just as a, a, a principle, people are probably more rea- uh, predictable when they're being um, given strong stimulus. Like I don't know what Jim would do, but I probably know what Jim would do if a uh, tack were to stick him in the ass right now. Right. He'd jump out of a seat and go ow. Right. <laughs> so like sometimes when you're, you know, like like uh, it's uh, that's like why battlefield initiative is so important. You'd rather be fucking up shit and the other person like, oh, my God, I can't believe my shit's being fucked up. I have to react to it rather than than just sitting there, maybe planning to fuck your shit up. So I, I think there's a little bit of that in the psycho history, too. You know, now that I'm thinking about it, um, it more and more nowadays, individual actions aren't as important. Right. Um, we're in an age of social media. We're in an age of like distributed communication and and uh all of our logistics networks are just so intertwined where sure. like individual actions like if if i were to get on social media on on let's say facebook twitter whatever uh whatsapp and start posting that's not going to make much of a difference but if a million people get on whatsapp and start posting about things that mm-hmm. can change the course of history uh I wonder if they're going to play with any of those concepts because so far, you know, in this future world they've created, there is nothing like that as best I can tell. It is driven by the yeah. acts of individuals. Um, yeah. But th- th- that is certainly in our real world changing very rapidly. I wonder if that's going to come into the show. Yeah. I mean, even democracy itself essentially boils us down into big aggregates of either majority or minority. Right. And the majority, you know, like, mm-hmm. All the people comprised in the majority probably don't agree on much, but like we're treated as if we do for the sake of how government's going to go for the next two to four to six years. So, yeah, somewhat. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, let's move on to Michael. Says, I read the Foundation series as a young man and have spent my career putting it into action. Uh, for more than 20 years, I have worked in digital marketing. We use as much data as we can consume to create behavior models. We got a, a budding psycho historian mm. here. Yeah. The science only works on masses of people. No marketing campaign targets individuals or small groups. I've used this also in consumer finance. We create messages that cause small shifts in buying behavior in large groups. I cannot make any one person buy anything, but I can goose sales by a percentage or two. I have friends who carve small basis points of investment performance based on enormous unstructured data feeds. They can't call individual stocks, but are accurate on overall markets or large sectors, especially in high-speed markets like derivatives. 
In politics, the game is to shift a few percentage points and target demographics. The Lincoln Project brags that they carved away a few percentage points from the suburban Republican base, especially women, in the 2020 election, which helped defeat Donald Trump. They make no pretense of influencing individual voters. The big attention attractors like Facebook and YouTube use the same playbook to maximize the time users spend on their platform while monetizing their insights to sell attractive targets to their customers, which are the advertisers. Once again, this only works on large groups. What Asimov predicted 80 years ago is what we do as routine today. Uh, I mean, yeah, and I, I feel like there's, there's especially it feels like in the last 10 years, people are starting to be a little more Harry Seldon-ish, like not just taking insights about a community, but then taking that to feedback into the mechanism to get other insights. Like, you know, how there's, you know, across the world, there is manipulation, election manipulation. Um, there is people pushing false agendas, fake news, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I guess the only question is like, as everyone starts to do it, does it kind of like cancel each other out as like, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, right. because it does, it does sound like some pretty spooky with that. Someone alluded to in the, the interview with David Goyer, this, uh, article about this pine beetle ecologist that has gone on to study human ecology and and you know he got big waves by saying you know if he's been saying for like the last five or six years that you know there's a model that leads to unrest building and it's going to peak in 2020 with k and you know of course 2020 had a lot of chaos and and systematic failures so he's he's kind of riding high but like yeah i mean there is a lot of scary parallels here sure no, I I look at data aggregation sort of as a pyramid and like get all this data out there that's just raw data at the very bottom. And then as you start to analyze it and put it all together to form a shape, it sort of forms this pyramid where like one predictive engine can be right at the top, right? And it's the best predictive engine we have. Well, now if you suddenly have 600 other predictive engines doing the same thing, maybe getting slightly different results with different variables then you could start to aggregate the data generated by those predictive engines into a higher level, like new top of the pyramid sort of thing. And that can almost seemingly go on forever. Um, Yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, It's an interesting concept and we are, you know, in the age, the computer age where this stuff is just going to start like computer computing power enable this sort of collection of data and, 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 sifting through it and understanding of it we are just at the beginning of that i mean artificial intelligence is going to blow that door wide open and it's already starting to that's why you're seeing all this stuff but we are just barely barely starting uh to get our heads around that yeah a lot of this like it reminds me of like uh some of the research like joe overton did if you've heard of the overton window like it's Mm -hmm. a way to both you can use it to both quantify like where a population stands politi- politically on different uh, uh, issues, but you can also, if, if you take it one step further, and then like, well, how can I nudge the Overton window to make a policy more palatable? Like right now, it's very unpopular for whatever reason because people see it as a radical idea. Well, how can I get it to accept it as, you know, incrementally to be, you know, go from the unthinkable to the thinkable? Um, and they've, you know, been working on this for. People have been working on this for 30 plus years and now you're really starting to bear, you know, bring like Jim's was talking about that, you know, big, big analytical data guns behind it. Yeah. Uh, really, really modeling and stuff. And it, it's interesting because like I to me, I, like I said, it's like I don't know whether this stuff works. I mean, people clearly believe it it works and I know it does work like, you know, this guy's talking about like when you're talking about percentage points of things. Um but like, does it like if everyone starts doing it all the time, do those percentage effects start canceling out or do you start looking, you know, just just sift the data ever, ever finer to find the the parts of the system that are still not being kind of monkeyed with or, you know, every, can can you monkey with everything all the time? Or like as is, is there like the eye of Sauron where like it's like, you know, it's looking at Frodo, but then, you know, here comes uh, Aragorn up to the gates and shh the eye is torn away and it can look at air like or is it like we're just like it can see everything all the time uh it it, it makes me we're living in a point of history where we find out if it's all if, whether it works or it's true or bullshit or what it's exciting uh yeah exciting <laughs> that's how i describe it I, I do wonder if the prequels go into any of the stuff about how harry selden 
got psychohistory into the consciousness of so many people um because mm. you know without a social media network without like easy access to distribution of information you would think that people with the the levers of power and the the money to influence people would be the people who could actually take advantage of a psychohistory esque yeah. uh, predictive model it so it, i don't know i'm i'm super curious to get to those those prequel novels to see if they deal with that because it seems like a, a grassroots sort of movement that he's got going but boy how did he get that done yeah like what kind of or because we don't get an opportunity to see like how the people we're talking about the masses the eight trillion people how they because we're so far we've been looking at the very tippy top of even you know people in trantor are living a completely different life than other parts of the galaxy we've seen you know the seat of a religious power that holds sway over three trillion people and we've seen the backwaters of anacreon and uh, terminus that you know barely had they're scrapping over nothing right mm-hmm. so like yeah what does what does tv and <laughs> and pop culture and advertisement yeah. look like in the foundation world we haven't seen that because none of the people that we have gotten to know can, are, are part of that consumption culture so uh, Daniel had a question for David Goyer that I I've adapted into for our own purposes we of course are not David S. Goyer but uh, we'll we'll see what we can do he says one crucial detail in the world building and the foundation is bothering me because of its lack of plausibility because of the way that it plays doesn't track with how I see the real world tracking brothers dawn day and dusk are all playing their part in a generations long system of succession in which the will of the individual clone is made subservient to the greater whole. If you have watched anything like the crown, you've seen a good depiction of how our inherent individualism will chafe at the constraints of that kind of dynasty. Not everybody chooses to play their part. Rebellion and pushback are inevitable. In this case, however, we're dealing with literal copies of Cleon the First. Cleon the First was someone with an extraordinary force of will and a thirst for power to the extent that he subjugated an entire galaxy. This personality is not a worker bee's personality. He's not a team player. Everything in him drives him to seize control and dominate. Sociologists are in agreement that nurture is far less significant than nature. Ah, uh, I don't know. People's genes are the significant drivers of their personalities, choices, and preferences. For this reason, I find it totally unbelievable that clones of a man with the conquering nature of an Alexander the Great or Genghis Genghis Khan would go along with the dynastic system that is depicted in the show. I don't think that system would last a single generation. The very first clone would balk at having his individuality watered down and given a name that reflects a particular part of the process, let alone gets walked to their own incineration. What do you make of this? The idea that like Klingon, Cleon is such a fucking Chad that he's never going to do the virgin move of just walking off into disintegration chamber uh, at the behest of some robot woman. I mean, he's the original one didn't. um, So there's that. Now there's that. I, there are a lot of assumptions being made here. Uh, I, yes. I don't know what articles you've read, and I certainly haven't read very many about nature versus nurture. You're, you're taking it on as a fact here that uh, nature is much more important, and I, I don't know if that's true. I'm, I'm no expert, though. Um, so I'll say I don't know on that. Uh, I'm pretty sure Cleon is not the first emperor. Yes? No, this is a... I mean, the empire was created a, by Cleon. He might not be the Chad you think he is. He might just yeah. be a dude who was born into an already powerful dynasty and didn't have any, uh, you know, visions of grandeur beyond creating a star bridge. So I, it, he doesn't have to be like the Genghis Khan type. That's true. He is, he, this is a 400-year t- tip of the pinky on a 12,000-year... Imperium, right? Uh, it's just this has been, I guess, an unprecedented te- uh, uh, area of prosperity and peace because they implied there's a lot of squabbling over succession, you know, and like just having all that, you know, figured out where you can peacefully transfer power from system to system. I mean, that's one of the that's one of the successes of of Western style democracies is we kind of like figure out how to do that to the extent that everyone goes along with it. So yeah, and I guess uh, the question is like ultimately look this is part of the setup right this is you're either going to go along with the setup of this 
university as it exists and see what they have to say about that. Or you're not going to be on board just because, you know, you don't think that this world could ever actually exist, which I don't think that the Lord of the Rings world could ever actually exist, but I still watched the movies and enjoyed them. So I I don't know. I just, yeah, let's just go with, with the setup here and see if they have anything interesting to say about it as we progress. Because that's a good, that's a damn good point. Because Lord of the Rings world essentially says Aragorn should be king because he's just got better blood, y'all. He's just a better dude. He's from <laughs> oh, better stock, from more descendant from the pure blood that was blessed by Eru, the creator himself. You know, I'm like, I don't I mean, believe any of that shit. I believe you that know? world could like, exist. I believe that world did exist for a long time. Yeah, but yeah. Like that was, that was the way a lot of tyrants pulled the, the wool over people's eyes and kept mm-hmm. them down. But yeah, I don't know. And also about like, I'm not a sociologist myself, but I is my understanding that like um, what what sociologists say now is like nature and nurture are so intertwined that to try to study anything in uh, isolation when it comes to something as complex as human society is, is like, you know, uh, almost fruitless. Like you can't. I mean, what it's do you like need? It's not identical twins to start. There's, I mean, once we start cloning, I think studies. we can yeah. do some really like fucked up unethical shit stuff that would get us there but i don't know if we're gonna let it devise some experience that would make nazi germany and imperial japan blush we're gonna get so fucked up with these clone twins yeah and and the other thing is like as you say like is this working because it does seem like you know one one of the the that that beetle Socio- the the Beatles sociologist ecologist uh, that we've alluded to twice now in a podcast one of his big theories is that uh, political unrest comes from when the elite class in the society uh, gets bored with not enough to do and there's too many of them so they can't distinguish themselves uh, like if uh, if an empire I just has so many show about this yeah so many princes that none of them not all of them can have castles and important titles and they start you know getting bored and have delusions of grandeur and start shitting in the system instead of shitting out you have a big problem and that's what he's predict. He's like that, you know, we have so emphasized getting college degrees and bettering ourselves and, you know, having a certain amount of wealth and power that not everyone can possibly have in a society. So now we've got sure. people with college degrees that think they should get 100K and they can only get an entry level job and that, that that's going to inevitably cause the system to collapse. Like I said, I, I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I feel like human society is more complicated than Beatles. So I don't know if this is all necessarily true, but, you know, I think that going back to this email, like it could be the thesis of the show that this isn't working. Yes. It's worked for That's- 400 years with an immortal android that is molding these people into a shape with this expectations of eight trillion people on them to fit a particular mold. And they are chafing and it is breaking. This is like a very yeah, unnatural sure. system. But it can, with a, the full might of an empire behind it, they can keep banging these guys into the proper shape. So, yeah, like I, said, I, say, I, the I think the premise here is is that, yeah, these these clones have existed and they're the same. The breaking of the mold here is happening before our eyes, right? Right. That's how I see it anyway. So. Uh, Kristen's in a uh, missive says, I just had to shout out Terrence Mann, who plays brother Dusk. His voice nearly perfectly matches that of Lee Paces and his performance through the first five episodes has been awesome. Yeah. I don't know if either of you realize this, but Terrence Mann is a Broadway veteran of countless musicals. And by way of example, if you've ever listened to the original soundtrack of Les Mis or Beauty and the Beast, Terrence Mann is the original Haver and the Beast respectfully. I had no idea. That, of course, I've listened to the Les Mis soundtrack many, 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 many times. I had no idea that hmm. uh, this is Javier. Uh, Never listened to either of those. Of course. Maybe of course. this is why I find his voice performance matching Lee so intriguing. He also follows Jonathan Price's High Sparrow from the Game of Thrones as a musical stage actor landing in the realm of high, sci-fi high fantasy. Of course, Jonathan Price, uh, famous for being General Perone in the... Uh, at least the the movie make of uh, Evita, the movie version of Evita with Madonna. Hmm. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, I uh, I feel like for these type of roles, which are big and larger than life, you can't hardly beat someone with stage play experience because sure. that's the opposite of the method style of acting. That's acting big. That's projecting on a huge scale uh, on a huge stage. 
uh, to the people in the back, the back seats. And that's kind of what the emperor is all about. You have to take a stage and project yourself from Trantor to the ends of the known universe. Um, so it makes a lot of sense that these guys with these presences fit, fit these things like peas in a pod. JJ uh, Johnson has a simple explanation for Salvor's ability to guess the outcome of the coin toss. We all believe that she's the biological daughter of Gale. I don't know if we all do, but it's, it's looking that way. Just before Gale jumped through the first wormhole in episode one, her traveling companion pointed out that you had to remain asleep or your body and mind would get unsynced. He's then taking that and assuming that this out of sync body and mind can get passed on genetically. Hmm. So Salver's consciousness is essentially a couple of seconds ahead of her, the reality her body and mind is experiencing. So when she flips a coin, she intuitively knows the outcome before it's flipped. Uh, unfortunately, his analysis is this is only slightly, slightly useful because she can only foretell a couple of seconds ahead of real time. Per, could make you good at party tricks or a better fighter, but that's about it. Do you agree with J.J. Johnson's analysis here? Um, I might, I might be able to. That seems like a plausible, uh, I don't know, theory to tack on to the already not quite proven theory that we've got. Yeah. The only challenge I have to it is how does it explain uh, Salver's ability to divine the truth of what's going on in Farrah's mental state and her past? It seems like Mm -hmm. she was pretty accurate at telling exactly, I mean... Maybe she's seeing the past through someone else's eyes, like the vision she has of Raish. That's still not just a displaced mind and, and body. No. Right? Maybe it is. I maybe mean, it, it is. could be if you're unstuck from time, maybe. Yeah. But, but, like it's, it's, but then you're physical. Fo- yeah. A lot of questions. But I, I guess then you're talking about more than just a few seconds of, of being unstuck, too. Yeah. But, um, it is like I said. It 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 is possible. Uh, I just don't know how it fits in with. It. I mean, I we even said this uh, in our coverage of the show. It, she could be just cold reading, like mm-hmm. you know, one of those uh, uh, psychics that talks to dead people, right? You know, it's like, oh, I'm getting a, an uncle. Oh, uh, I had an aunt that died. I, I, I'm an aunt. I'm, it's a definite feminine energy, and her name was uh, uh, Gladys. Her, her her name was Irene. Yes, that's that's close to the the G in alphabet. Uh, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's like they could just be doing that because everyone knows about what happened in Anacreons and she is the first huntress. So she's real high up in that society. So she probably was at the forefront of destruction and also at the loss. of. So, yeah, but why would the show be playing that tricksy with us? I think the be- the, the the plain reading is she's got some precognition. Uh, we don't know how strong, how accurate. So. We don't know the source of it, so I think it's it's fair to speculate, but I just don't know. Feels like we're getting closer and closer to these types of answers, though. Yeah. Feels like the show just keeps on spiraling in towards some version of the truth of, you know, the the Sasquatch ice cave nature of the vault <laughs> and all that. So. We're getting geared up for the sixth annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off badass season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre, We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was, and those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim, order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar, then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. 
Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. For Prestige, me and Aaron are still extending our Shogun Afterglow with part three of our discussion of the 1980s TV miniseries. Last week absolutely shocked our sensibilities with Lord Toronaga doing the tango. What delights and horrors will await us this week? Then for Pulp, this Friday join us for our latest prep session for House of the Dragon Season 2 as we take another look at the key differences between the text of Fire and Blood and the on-screen action for Season 1 and what they mean for the character's story and setting. Get your Valerian steel sharpened for the new season. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Madman and father of Mad Max, George Miller, is back with another apocalyptic tale from the Australian wastelands. This time, we're getting a prequel featuring the origin story of Charlize Theron's character Furiosa, starring the Queen's Gambit's Anya Taylor-Joy in the title role and the mighty Thor Chris Hemsworth as the warlord Dr. Dementis. Furiosa promises more high-octane, slightly radioactive action and fun. Furiosa drives in the theaters on May 24th, and we'll have our spoiler-free thoughts and impressions of the film as well as a discussion of trailers and upcoming movies for everyone. But if you want to ride with us the full length of the podcast on the eternal highways of Valhalla, shiny and chrome, you're going to have to be a club member. Join today at support.baldmove.com. Get our full discussion of Furiosa and many more first-run films, plus tons of other bonus podcasts and ad-free feeds. Support.baldmove.com. Uh, let's move on to arcade shenanigans as I just want to drop this as a point of appreciation for foundation this week and it's great use of tension. The scene in which brother day's ship entered the atmosphere and landed, uh, on the, uh, the maiden, the choice of ship speed and lingering on that landing process. I couldn't help but feel that it's a trap type tension after seeing the relative ease in which the Anacreons destroyed a seemingly identical ship in the previous episode. It's a great way to build the initial shared distress between the emperor and the viewer with Halima. Also, having been pulled into a few cross-cultural ceremonies from religions where I was an outsider, I really appreciated the don't bow? Great, now I'm the only one standing. I better own it moment with Day later in this episode. Mm-hmm. I appreciated that, too. I've uh, been a couple times, like, you know, when I was, when I left my own religion, and I was like, am I going to be religious or spiritual? Or I tried a couple of different religious ceremonies just to see how it would feel, and, and yeah. Like it, there's a, I remember uh, one time going to a Lutheran ceremony and they, they ask everybody to come partake of the, uh, the bread and the wine or the wafers or whatever. And everyone stands up as unison. And I'm like, should I like, I'm technically baptized, but would they consider I'm baptized? And then by the time, by the time I was like, like the five, everyone had just, I'd start filing into the line. So I'm like, well now, and I looked around and I'm literally the only one in the whole fucking building. that's not <laughs> lining up for the blessing. So mm-hmm. yeah, a little bit on a very small scale. What, what day was feeling there. And probably this, this stuff like the, 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 uh, how do you say that word? The verisimilitude, the, the real life dude, I think. Yeah. I wonder if that's coming from the, you know, the, the mixed religious heritage of, of the guy running the show. Yeah, um, totally good. Um, probably a lot of in the writer writing room there too. I didn't pick up on that tension, but you're right. After you pointed it out, I'm like, Oh yeah, there, that should be all over this scene. I'm very curious to see what kind of, um, price that Dimmerzell pays for this mm-hmm. or you know what kind of yeah loss i want to see the because, consequences yeah especially since they really painted day as very adolescent and childlike uh in and uh, his behavior this that this this episode 
Uh, Irish Monk says one thing I've noticed in this series is some quite subtle and clever within scene analogs. Most recently in the opening of episode six, Brother Day asked Demerzel what it's like to be awake during a star or hyper jump. She replies that she cannot tell him because his mind would break because the human mind cannot tolerate the discontinuity. He goes on to ask her to explain her faith in luminism, and she replies that luminism teaches that at any point, an individual has a power to choose their own path. The truth is that this teaching also breaks his mind because to the clone mind, the Cleon dynasty cannot tolerate discontinuity. Uh, Demerzel is prepared to test his mind on issues of faith, but not on issues of science and technology. Perhaps this is because there's more to this process of humans going to sleep during star hyper jumps and meets the eye. Remember, mm-hmm. Gail woke during her trip. Uh, are you have any thoughts on this? Does it give us any clues to Demerzel's strategy or the resentment of AIs for being eradicated by the Empire? Um, I don't know about the latter thing. It is interesting that you hinted on the fact that she's not willing to. It, it remind that scene reminded me so much of uh, Spock and McCoy in the whale the whale movie of Star Trek, where McCoy sidles up to to Spock and he wants to ask him. It's like you know what was death like? What's it like in and Spock's like, well, to have a discussion, we have to have a common frame of reference. He's like, are you saying that I have to die to hear your <laughs> thoughts on death? And Spock's like, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Um, but but yeah, the whole individuality is something that he it's not true that for this individual she's talking about that he has the opportunity to do whatever he wants or to make a decision um, outside of his station. Right. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think he would have the agency if he chose to exert it, but that's not the path um, that he's on. And the other thing about it is I, I think this is just a foreshadowing or a setup for when she bows later to the religion, right? This is the question. It, where do her loyalties lie? Really? Do they lie with luminism or do they lie with uh, the empire? And the empire is the thing that's on the path that's un- unmovable and changeable. And then you've got this religion where um, you, you need to be that. So I, I think that's what they're doing there. I don't know that I would go beyond that, but maybe. Maybe she is trying to teach to get him to Mike, because we've all thought that maybe. she is not really serving the empire the way I think the empire would understood would understand serving him. It to be you know, like she's got some kind of ulterior motive. So maybe she I is trying to get him be. to take some some kind of drastic individual action. And she's like, this is, but she's got to pick her, she's got to pick her moment, you know, like she gets too close to the source. There's too much, uh, I don't know of the original. That's, that's where this clone stuff starts breaking down, which we'll get into later in the feedback, but okay. Sewell says, I was thinking along the lines when Aaron was talking about the genetic drift of the Cleon clones. Is it known that they've taken genetic material from Cleon to Uno, or is it something brother dust does before ascending to brother darkness? Because that seems more likely why, as the line continues, they seem to get less impressive. You have the copy of a copy effect. I I think we talked about this, that we don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, it is an interesting that they keep, apparently, the body of Cleon the first in perfect stasis. Mm-hmm. That maybe, I mean, that seems like it'd be the smart thing to do is to always, you know, sample from the original. Yeah, imagine but, uh, how much genetic material there is there. <laughs> I mean, the the... Number oh, of generations yeah. would just be infinite. Yeah. And I, I that's the thing, because like, you know, when I grew up, that was a common thing of cloning. Like I, there was like two different Star Trek The Next Generation episodes revolving around a society of clones that needed mm-hmm. to steal children from the Enterprise or uh, steal Riker and Crusher's genetic material because they were just getting that copy of a copy of a copy effect where they're they're starting to. Kind of like uh, inbreeding in the royal families. Mm-hmm. You start getting the massive overbites and the madness of King George and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's scientific uh, or if that's scientism. Like, if that's like, you know, like it, it sounds good for a Star Trek episode or if that's because, like, if you make a clone, like, this isn't Jurassic Park where it's like, well, we have, I don't know, 99% of a Tyrannosaurus and we're going to plug the missing stuff with, fuck it, frog DNA. Mm-hmm. Like you got the whole sequence, like right. Does do the copies of that go wrong? Like when they're making copies of Dolly the sheep when I was growing up, or every generation of Dolly got dumber and dumber. Like 
the sheep. How the fuck would you know? Right. No, I, I think that would be de- come down to your process, right? Not the material yeah. itself. Uh, the material should it's true unless there are mutations that happen over the course of time. You you would always have the same genetic material. It's identical. That's what cloning is. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if you, when you copy, it's like when you copy an MP3 from one space right. to another, you don't run the risk of the file corrupting. I mean, I guess uh, you do. God, my M&M something. track turned into Cotton Eye Joe. Shit, again? <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> what kind of drift is this? Right. Yeah, now if you if you re-encode it, something could go wrong. And, you know, if you're, I guess, a physical flaw in the medium happens. But, like, yeah, if you make a copy, that's why, that's why I fucking everybody's so pissed off when they started doing it. It's like, well, this is just exactly, it's like, yeah, this is exactly the same thing you're buying, except for free. So, mm-hmm. We'll have to see. We'll have to see how the cloning technology works out. Tommy. Was Selden's claim to Raish that if he and Gale stay together, the plan falls apart an unforced error? Harry made it very clear that he can't predict things at an individual level, so how can he make claims about Raish and Gale? One of my friends that is a book reader highlights that point as one of the many reasons the show is turning them off since it's putting Harry in a prediction, a position of predicting and accounting for an individual in his plan. As a book reader myself, I'm trying not to bring too many expectations into the show since it's clearly a very different story, but I couldn't really argue against it seeming like an error. Do you think this is in fact an error by the show or something we don't understand yet? Well, I think like Uh, take a step back from the individuals here and look at the roles of the people involved, right? Um, Harry's saying to Raish like, look, I, I can't kill myself. This can't be a suicide, right? This has to be a murder by someone who escapes. That's all he's saying. He's not saying that it has to be Gale. He's not saying that it has to be Raish. It just needs to be, I was murdered and that person was not found. And this is, so this is, this, these are like the border issues between what we're talking about and the, the Inception conception Mm -hmm. uh, that he can't, predict he couldn't predict that gale and Raish would be together but he can see what effect that has on the foundation and predict that if they stay together there is no seemingly the probabilities of success for the foundation plummet to almost nothing so like he can't predict what Raish and gale will do but he can predict what a suitably large number of a population will react uh, to that and i i even had that question in the first episode like is the foundation because clearly that's what they're doing, running these simulations. They're trying to like, you know, may, maybe that's the thing. They get such a, ran, a huge sample size of behavior from a relatively small uh, population. Maybe they can. But like I, I had that question of like, is there enough people on this fucking ship that you can make a useful prediction about what's going to happen on Terminus? Mm-hmm. You know, um, so there are this is kind of like the gray area between. He's not predicting the action of an individual, but he's saying what this variable will do to this other larger population. And, you know, if that's putting you off because you're a strict book reader, then, I mean, fair enough. But, like, also, there's so many things up in the air. The fact that this isn't, strictly speaking, Harry's plan anymore. Raish went and fucked it up. Or I guess Mm -hmm. Gail did because she had precognition that something was wrong and went and spoiled the murder, the murder-suicide, right? So, like... yeah, yeah. There's we're already like several kind of pages off of the books and they're clearly doing something that's related and it might, you know, this is something that I thought the double D's did very well in the first few seasons of the Game of Thrones where like in the middle of the season, I'm like, fuck, this is so much different from the books. I don't know. But like they don't have to directly adhere to every book, right? They just have to get the shape of the world close enough that when they wrap up this season that it will mesh with the ongoing story. You know, so like one of the things that Double D's did is like no matter what, at the end of every season, everything kind of collapsed back into a shape of like, oh, I see this guy's doing this thing and this is going to be the one that does this in the books. And like, I can see how this, you know, Game of Thrones is going to hand off to a Clash of Kings or whatever for next season. And they could be doing that where it's like there's lots of different things. But, you know, when you finally open up the vault and you see what's in it, oh, this is going to connect to the next sequence of the foundation. I, I see that now. I can't see that now, right? Right, strictly speaking, where we're standing from. Sure. Uh, let's move on to Dan. Uh, wait a second. Uh, yeah. Let's move on to Dan. It says East Asians compromise or comprise compromise 
They comprise approximately one quarter of the Earth's present population, which tracks with historical estimates going back for thousands of years. That percent is roughly on par with South Asian and European percentiles. So my question is, where are all the East Asians in the Galactic Empire? I'm mainly concerned with accuracy concerning the portions of our phenotypes out in our species. Um, I think so. This is something that came up on the uh, AMA that Goyer did on Reddit that like clearly I think Goyer and the the whole uh, studio here is trying to represent a galactic universe that closely resembles the current makeup of Earth. Like it's not just all white folk and that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but I heard that one of the challenges they had is that in the places they were filming uh, during COVID, getting people across the borders, they had lots of um, of certain types of, of phenotypes, as you say, that were at their fingertips at casting calls and things. And some were harder to get. And I guess East Asians were one of the ones that's like, you know, you had to move people around mm-hmm. across borders that were closed. And that's why they're still I mean. Uh, the one lady who had zygote harvesting hesitancy uh-huh. uh, was East Asian. I think there's just been at least one more on Terminus. Um, but I, I, that's, according to Goyer, that's one of the reasons they were so underrepresented because they they couldn't quite get the diverse mix that they wanted. And, uh, you know, we'll see if that if that uh, gets ameliorated, that gets tweaked going going in seasons uh, four. Because I said clearly, I feel like that they want to have that. I mean, if you look at the cast yeah, yeah. and the makeup of it, it is it is pretty diverse. Um, OK, uh, I have one more question and it's more on the kind of like book future spoilers, kind of like an add on to our conversation that Jim and I had at the end of last week or of this week's episode, the spoiler edition of it. So if you don't want any kind of like book kind of topics, you don't want that to taint uh, your enjoyment of the show. I very much encourage you to turn off the podcast. Now you can send in feedback to foundation at bald move.com. Um, we appreciate everybody's questions uh, and uh, we look forward to having you back for the seventh episode. That's going to be dropping again this Friday. Same time the Apple releases it. Uh, we will try to get it out uh, at the scheduled time, but they, they, uh, they got out a couple of hours earlier. Right. This, this yeah, week. I drop it when I notice the episodes come out on Thursday night because they never yeah. wait until Friday at 3 a.m. Yeah, they give us an embargo date that's mm-hmm. always several hours after the episode eventually gets out. So anyway, just be looking at boldmove.com. Subscribe to Foundation of Podcast, Bold Move Pulp, however you want to get it in your favorite podcast app uh, or also uh, YouTube.com slash Bald Move. Uh, we're also putting video versions of our podcasts up there. All right. Once again, foundation of move.com. I think everyone's had enough time to exit the building if that's what they want to do. So let's talk about Joel. Joel corrects me because I've been saying there's this character of the mule and these people that have like I've broadly referred to it as psychic powers, future telling powers. And I've gotten this subtle. Uh, uh, I've gotten this wrong. My recollections of this hmm. says the mule didn't have the ability to see in the future. What they did have is the ability to manipulate the emotions of other humans described as the ability to essentially twist an emotional dial and let it and have it set at a different direction. That's what gave him the power to start conquering the foundation, sometimes with little to no opposition. Okay. So this is the, I thought that this guy had precog or psychic powers. Um, They were more of a telepath. He could read minds and he could uh, affect people's, he's an empath, um, affect their emotions. And that's something that fa- the psychohistory could not pr- account for. The fact that people could have their base desires in mass fucked with and manipulated. Um, and the third book is a largely about how do you account for and how could a man like Carrie account for the unaccountable, the knowing the unknowable. Um, so, so is this going to be like a combination of what Gail experienced with the, the jump with her you know, consciousness slipping in time and a combination of the mule's powers manifesting in Harden. It's possible. Because what she's described about just like she to... wants to kill them all, like it, that anger and stuff, yeah. that is very much like sensing the emotions of a character. True. And, and that also kind of fits into her intuitive sense of what uh farah went through rather than just like she's literally reading her mind and she's like seeing things and how they emotionally resonate and things like that so maybe it's also possible that they're just going to change the mule to update it to like you know we live in a world that has tons and tons and tons of psychic stories and 
mind manipulation and you know uh that 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 we're he's just going to change it to where it's a little bit like that because empath changing people's emotions like I'm trying to think of like how many things I've seen of that in fiction. It's a little bit more of a, you know, like, like this is a pre X-Men concept of how mind powers would work. This is like something mm-hmm. that would be came up with. Um, and there's, there's, there's other things that have come. I just like, you know, they're not using atomics and fusion drive. Yeah. They're used they're They're using black hole fucking technology. It's been updated. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, but on the other end, that just might be trying to be right, even though I've been wrong. So <laughs> I was going to say it's even if they don't do that, it's still pretty interesting, right? It's just it's yeah. a limitation on the power that could be even more interesting than just having straight up mind control or the ability to read people's memories or thoughts. It's a lot more subtle. It's a lot more subtle yeah. um, how that would interface. So, I, yeah, I just wanted to make sure I got that click. Because, again, this was something I was trying to remember it's, it's stuff I have from like 20 plus 25, 30 year old memories of reading these books and <laughs> right. uh, what they're doing, which seems very much like a pre, some kind of precognition. So I, I got those overwritten. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, I think there's room for both of that to be true too. Cause like, like Jim pointed out what uh Salvor is doing feels a very, very much empathetic, you know, yeah. channeling other people's emotions. And maybe that's why that uh, she's always been seen as off, even though they didn't know, her right. true bizarre powers that like, you know, that's just like someone that's that in tune is uncanny and off putting. Or and, imagine if you had the ability to affect other people's emotions, but you didn't know it. Like, what oh, would you right. be projecting? Right. Like how, yeah. how would that mess with the people around you? And they'd feel weird yeah. when they were around you. I, well, I don't like her because she makes me feel weird. <laughs> yeah. 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 So anyway, I appreciate the clarification, Joel, a couple people sent this in, but uh, Joel is the first one. So I went with their email. Uh, once again, foundation of baldmove.com is how you send us your thoughts. Uh, we will be back with another episode next week. And of course we'll have full coverage of episode seven as soon as Apple TV plus Dean's Danes to drop it in our, uh, in our TV polls. So <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's it for uh, foundation of podcasts. Thanks for all the emails. Thanks for the support. We'll see you next week until then. I'm Aaron and I'm Jim later.